Welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley. And as always, we are on every major podcasting platform. So go there, find us, and leave us a nice review. It's really all that we ask for. Now, we had a lot happen yesterday, a lot of data on Thursday. And I know normally you're supposed to save the best for last, but we're going to get to the best first, at least in my opinion, what was the best report from yesterday. And that was homeowner equity. It was a good time to be a homeowner in the first quarter of 2021, according to the CoreLogic homeowner equity report, which said in Q1, homeowner equity jumped almost $2 trillion. The exact number, $1.9 trillion. On an annualized basis, equity increased by 19.6%. I mean, these numbers, I mean, they're not surprising because we've seen the results. We've seen what's happening with these home prices just skyrocketing skyrocketing over these last few months. But I mean, when you see it on paper, it's like $2 trillion added in the first quarter of 2021. Now, what does that mean in dollar amounts, or I should say per borrower? Because that's what this report looks at. It looks at mortgage properties, which I think makes up about 62, 63% of the home market. $33,400 per borrower. That is the highest, not surprisingly, in 10 years. <laughs> that's just, it's a big number. And I would say that's not even the best part of the report. I think the best part of the report, now, unless you're a crash bro, unless you're one of those people who's like, here comes the crash, and there are everyone, you know, the, the, the apocalypse people who are always convinced that here it comes, here it is, it's about to crash. If you're one of those people, then this is bad news for you. But if you're a regular person, and if you're someone that likes having equity in their home and likes their home price or, or their home value where it is, great news. The negative equity share of mortgage properties fell to the lowest number since they have been tracking this data in 2009. Obviously, a lot of records being broken, but this one, I actually think this one's more impressive than the increase in equity. I mean, this is this is the, the, the lowest it's dropped since they've been tracking data. <laughs> That's over 10 years. So quarter over quarter, so looking at uh, fourth quarter of 2020, negative equity decreased by 7%. And as of right now, 1.4 million homes have negative equity. 1.4 million. Year over year, negative equity fell by 24%. And so why does that, why do I think that that data is almost better than, than the equity number? And it's because all the crash bros and everyone else that's predicting that we're going to see this just absolute collapse of the housing market. Well, if you remember, the only real ever housing crash that we had, of course, happened in 2008. And what was the reason for that? Home prices dropped and you had a ton of people, I think it was double digits, that were underwater. And now we're looking at 1.4 million. Now, looking at the data that we got on Monday from the Mortgage Bankers Association, 2.1 million people are in forbearance programs. So you look at that, 2.1 million people are in, for, in forbearance programs. Assuming all those people in the forbearance programs end up in a situation where they can no longer afford their home and they have to move out. What does that tell you? That tells me that only 1.4 million of them are going to end up in foreclosure. The other 700,000 are going to sell and either break even or actually make money on the sale of their home. That number is even better when you look at what's happening with our inventory deficit. 
So as we've mentioned many a times on this podcast and many a times in the newsletter, there currently is a 4 million home deficit. That's the data from Freddie Mac. They're arguing we need 4 million homes to meet the current demand that we have. So everyone that says, oh no, all these government programs, they're propping up these loans. These houses should go into foreclosure. And when that happens, the market's going to crash. We need 4 million homes. If all of those homes foreclosed at once, the 700,000 they sell, they get out, they're fine. But the 1.4 million all foreclosed at the same time, which obviously is not going to happen. But let's say it does in this world of make-believe. What would that even do to the market? We need 4 million. That's 1.4. I mean, sure, there would be a reaction and it would cause something. But the idea that it would cause a crash, get out of here. That doesn't even make sense. We need 4 million homes. Best case scenario is we get 1.4. And like I said, it wouldn't even happen all at once. It would happen in stages. It would be staggered. I mean, it, it, it would not happen all at once. But even if it did, it would not have the debilitating effect that we saw in 2008. Of course, the number was much higher then. That's the whole point. Only 1.4 million homes in this country are underwater. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that is the best news in that report. Now, I do have some bad news for you. It's not all good news here on the podcast, unfortunately, going into the weekend, because home prices weren't the only thing that was going up in value. Yesterday, we got the uh, latest inflation data, the consumer price index from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And let's just say things are hot. And not like the good kind of hot, the, the, the bad kind of hot in this situation. Because even though people were expecting that number to jump, most economists had it around 4.7%. What we actually got was 5%. 5%. Year over year, inflation on all items index, 5%. Now, there were some categories that really skew this data, and we're going to get to it here in a second. But that 5% number was bigger than most economists were predicting, and it was the largest jump since August 2008. Now, here's some good news is the index's rate of growth actually fell in May to 0.6. In April, it was 0.8. So we did see a little bit of a decrease, but because once again, and this is the big debate that we're having about inflation, is that we're comparing this to April of 2020. And we know that, I'm sorry, May of 2020. And May of 2020, we were involved in this shutdown. Prices had stagnated, if not maybe dropped. And so the argument from many who are saying, hey, this inflation is transitory. Don't worry about it. It's not as bad as it looks. That's sort of their argument. And we're not really going to know if that argument's true or not for a couple months. But this data was shocking. And that economists are already putting that information in. And they still didn't, weren't accurate as to how much inflation was. So, you know, or, or I should say how much price growth we actually saw. So I think that that is an important factor. There were only two categories that saw a drop on an annualized basis. Uh, that was Medicare or medical care commodities fell 1.9% year over year and non-alcoholic beverages fell 0.2%. That was it. Everything else was in the green. Double-digit growth, of course, was not an uncommon sight in May. Gasoline appreciation led the way, jumping 56.2% year over year. That was followed by used cars and trucks. 
29.7%. Airline fares, 24.1%. Vehicle insurance was up 16.9%. And tobacco and smoking products was up 7.3%. Now, a lot of people are going to look at what's happening with you know, trucks or used cars and trucks and saying that that is what's leading a lot. I mean, th- that number is just so big. And of course, airline fares, that number is just so big, it's going to drag the whole index up. And that's true. But like I said, I mean, these numbers are hotter than economists were predicting. Ben Castleman over the New York Times did have a good point on all of this and how we should sort of evaluate these numbers. He tweeted out that big price surges in other areas where business is rebounding hotels, airfares and rental cars. Yeah, that's where we're seeing the price surge. But, quote, meanwhile, price increases are much more muted in areas less less directly affected by the pandemic. So if you're looking for a silver lining, arguably, that's it. Is that they're saying, hey, listen, I mean, these are areas that were decimated. I mean, we, we know that happened, right? Airlines, no one was flying. I mean, who, who was going to fly in the in the worst part of the outbreak or the part where we didn't know what was going on? We didn't know how contagious it was. No one was flying. And we know rental car businesses were selling their fleets. Nobody, since nobody was traveling, no one needed to rent a car. And they sold most of their fleets. And so a lot of them are, are facing a problem of not being able to have enough cars to deal with the people who are traveling once again. So to, seeing, so to see a big jump in those categories leads many economists to say, okay, we expected that. That was going to happen because at this point last time, prices had just completely plummeted. And so as I keep saying, and we'll keep saying, at least for the next few months, we're really not going to know about this until probably the fall. And if these numbers are still elevated and we're still seeing three, four, 5%, then yeah, we'll know that inflation is upon us. (laughs) But as of right now, a lot of economists aren't too worried. But the fact that they still underpredicted I think says something. Uh, Now, speaking of the overall economy, uh, some good news. We'll go back to some good news here. Jobless claims, they fell slightly, not as much as we have seen recently, but still a drop is a drop. Initial jobless claims fell to 376,000, a 9,000, I should say 9,000 drop from the previous week's revised levels. This is the lowest level we've seen since March 14th, 2020. The four-week moving average was down 25,000 to 402,500 overall. We're still seeing about 15.3 million people uh, claiming benefits. And so it's good news that that number is dropping. But as we know, these jobs reports, the the more sort of analyzed, bigger monthly jobs reports are still a little underwhelming. So it's good to see those numbers on the weekly claims, but it's still yet to be determined what's happening with the overall economy and the unemployment rate. Uh, I did want to talk about mortgage rates real quick here. Mortgage rates, uh, Freddie Mac releases its weekly survey, sort of telling you, you know where rates are on average. These, of course, it depends on your situation, but these are where they are on average. And mortgage rates stayed under 3%. So we actually saw a little bit of a drop. It was, I think, last week about 2.99%. This week, it dropped down to 2.96%. 
So we're still seeing mortgage rates kind of hover around that 3% area, which as we know is not going to be the case if the Fed finally just starts to move and says, all right, you know, inflation is here. We're going to have to raise rates. Everyone expects that 3% number to uh, be wishful thinking <laughs> in months or obviously a year from now. But mortgage rates are staying on average right now at about 3%, according to Freddie Mac. Now, here's a number that really nobody cares about. I still care about it, but really no one else does. So I'll just mention it in passing. The U.S. budget deficit yesterday, the Treasury announced their uh, monthly data, and we have four months to go in the fiscal year. Where do you think the budget deficit is right now? Any guesses? $2.1 trillion. We have that is how big the gap is between and what's funny is like revenue is it's like record revenue. We're bringing we've never brought in this much money before. As always, we're just spending so much of it. Two point one trillion dollars. And we have four months to go. I mean, if you just look at that data, you know, it's pretty obvious that we're going to probably have a three trillion dollar deficit this year. (laughs) It's just. These numbers are astronomical, and I think they've gotten to a point where everyone just is like, ah, who cares? It's just it's so big. And nobody cares. And this isn't like, oh, Democrats don't care. Republicans, nobody cares. No one's talking about this. And I just wanted to bring it up because I still care about the deficit. I'm still greatly worried about this and the fact that we are spending an insane amount of money. And are we ever going to be able to pay this off? I mean, we're going to, what, run... We're going to spend five, six trillion dollars over these like two years. It's just it's 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 nuts. So two point one trillion. A lot of people don't care. Hopefully you do. I do. Maybe one day we'll we'll do something about it, but probably not. We won't do it until it actually becomes a problem, until it actually starts impacting the economy. And then the problem is it's too late. So that's the sad reality of the situation. Well, it's always good to end on a high note. <laughs> All right, you guys have a great weekend. I'll be back here on Monday morning. This has been the Friday edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.